All right, all right. Good morning, Riverside Community Church. How are you doing this morning? With me to the book of Colossians, chapter 2, and we're going to be uh, hanging out in verse 16. Colossians, chapter 2, verses 16. It's a New Testament book, and we as a church, if you're joining us for the first time today, we've been going slowly through this book for the reason of as much as Paul wrote this book 2,000 years ago to a church in Turkey, at least modern-day Turkey, um, so we get to have God speak to us, uh, and His Word is as alive to us. And as Paul speaks to this church, uh, God speaks to us, and we believe that God's Word is living and active, and is really stretching and encouraging us. And if you've been with us for any period of time over the last few weeks, uh, you would have felt a little bit of whiplash last week, simply because for the first chapter and a half, Paul has been speaking about what uh, we as geeky theologian nerds like to call Christology. It's really a theology on Christ, uh, helping us understand uh, Jesus' magnitude, His glory, His supremacy, His above all things, His beyond all things, before all things, all things are created by Him, for Him, and through Him. Uh, all things find their purpose in Him. Uh, Paul is praying that, man, that the Holy Spirit helps us get it, so that it goes beyond our minds. Uh, we get to, the, Paul wants to blow our minds by saying, and, and Christ is in you. And, and then he says, and we are in Christ. Then on Easter weekend, we spoke about the victory of the cross, uh, Jesus having victory over death and the law and sin and, and spiritual powers. And then he goes to verse 16, where this word is a bit of a hinge point. It's the word, therefore. And he gets so practical. If you were here last week, in fact, the first two things he spoke about in terms of getting practical with our faith was not about how regularly we should go to church, which kind of gets covered today, uh, or uh, how we should pray. He gets literally starts talking about what we eat and what we drink. And there's this assumption when he says, therefore, he's saying, listen, if Christ is all of this, if Christ is above all, if he is supreme, if this Christ is in you, and if you are in him, and his victory is yours, therefore, it affects what we eat, it affects what we drink. It affects how we do family, how we do work, and he's going to cover a whole lot of practical situations whereby this, the reality of Christ in our lives, informs this. And Paul's trying to break this mold that Christianity is only about Sunday. In fact, Christianity even informs what we consume and how we consume it. And what he's going to talk about today, just a bit of a, a headway as to where we're going, Paul's going to talk about how and when and why we celebrate special days. And I never thought I would ever speak about this topic from the pulpit. But this is why we go through a book, verse by verse, because we get to cover things. Craig and I would never have sat down and said, how can we speak about Halloween in church? Um, and Paul kind of brought it to our attention, so we get to talk about these things. We've just celebrated as a church a very special day, right? We've just celebrated Easter. Now for us as a family, uh, there's kind of two angles we always try and approach Easter. The one angle is as uh, we think about, we've got young kids and we always want to uh, do a bit of an Easter egg hunt. So for weeks before, in, in fact, I'm surprised they don't start selling Easter products in November the year before. Nonetheless, um, as these things come out on the shelves, Bianca's looking for little things for the kids. Uh, something else that we do, just a bit of a tradition in our family, because Easter's going into autumn and winter, is we give our kids winter pajamas every Easter. Easter. Um, so she's looking out for that kind of thing. And then, of course, there's all the planning around whose home are we going to be at as a family and who's going to be cooking what. And we get together, we have the Easter egg hunt, and we eat hot cross buns, and it's a big bash, right? Very important from that side. 
And then, of course, there's the real true meaning of Easter. We as a church, in fact, start planning up to two months in advance. Just, Lord, what are you wanting to say to us as a church? How are you wanting us to arrange ourselves around that message? What theme are you putting on our hearts? Uh, What sort of decor and design needs to happen? What sermon preparation and research needs to happen? Who's going to be delegated to do this task and that task so that when we get here as a church on Sunday, uh, even on Friday, Sunday morning and Sunday, every element on that weekend is pointing towards this incredible reality that we call Easter, the death, burial, resurrection, of Jesus Christ so that we can celebrate this. So now, how do we reconcile these two sides, right? There's sort of the eggs in the bunny side. And, and just by the way, it's absolutely ungodly to never have those marshmallow Easter eggs, right? Uh, and, and you and I know that there's two types of people in this world. Those who like to eat those marshmallow eggs at room temperature, and those who stick them in the fridge first, right? And they love the crack. So um, I'm kind of in between. I like to leave it in the fridge, take it out for about five minutes. And for me, that's the perfect temperature. And then, of course, there's only one Christian way to eat hot cross buns. And that is lightly toasted with lots of butter just starting to melt. All right? And that is what we try and do on a Sunday as well. And yet, if you go into your Bible app and you type in the word Easter... The word doesn't come up anywhere. In fact, when I did that this last week, I typed in the word Easter. It took me to the book of Esther. So I'm like, well, are there Easter bunnies in the book of Esther? And no, it actually thinks I spelt the word wrong. So what, what do we do about this? What do we do about kind of bunnies and chocolates and hot cross buns and empty graves and resurrected saviors? How do we reconcile this? How do we think about this? And then uh, in the same light, we can talk about Christmas. In the same light, we can talk about uh, um, uh, Halloween. And Christians have been debating these days for centuries. In fact, they've even been debating birthdays. Uh, Another big day that Christians debate is whether or not we should even be meeting on a day like today, which is Sunday, uh, for all sorts of reasons. So, um, Stephen, how on earth are you speaking about this? Well, let's go and look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 to 17. Colossians 2, verses 16 to 17. And Paul starts off with this big hinge points verse. Therefore, in light of Christ's sovereignty, his lordship in your life, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. So last week, if you missed last week's message, we spoke about how we, under Christ's lordship, can think intelligently around eating and drinking. So do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regards to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, I'm going to use the word about 20 times today. The reality, however, is found in Christ. All right, do not let anyone judge you with regards to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So it seems that what was going on in this church almost 2,000 years ago was that inasmuch as they were a Roman city and many pagan Christian, uh, pagans had come to Christianity, uh, there were also some Jews from the diaspora that were coming to faith in Christ. And they were saying, wow, we really do recognize Jesus as the Messiah, but we also love our Old Testament laws. We've already spoken about how they wanted to uh, impose circumcision onto the new Gentile males that were coming to faith. And in the same way, they were saying, No, no, and we also don't want to abandon these holidays that have become so dear to us. 
So there would be these annual feasts and Passovers and, and there would be these monthly celebrations and there would be these weekly celebrations. And what was starting to happen was the kind of Jewish believers would come to something like what's mentioned here, the New Moon Festival. Oh, where's the Pullmans? Oh, the Pullmans are out watching Avengers. Well, and then all sorts of judgments going out to the Pullmans for not being at the New Moon Celebration. Then it came to uh, a Sunday. Oh, where the Pullmans? Oh, they meet at that church, Riverside Community Church, and they meet on a Sunday, not on a Saturday. And all this kind of shade was being cast from these Jewish Christians onto those who had different positions on where and when we should be meeting, what we should and shouldn't be celebrating. And Paul is saying, listen, if that's what you're fighting about... He's saying you're missing the point. How you meet and and when you meet and how often you meet and how long you meet is not nearly as important as the reality. All of these are shadows that point towards something far greater. Now imagine someone needed my ID photo and I sent them a headshot of my shadow. And I said, what is this? No, that's me. It's not you. Or imagine Bianca didn't marry me, but she married my shadow. All right, I think sometimes she wishes she did, but at least then she could say uh, that she did marry someone tall, dark, and handsome. Um, but, you know, I kinda, but I'm here, right? Uh, and another way to think about it is uh, I, I've spoken to you about the fact I've got two young boys. And there was a pre-kid stage. We decided, well, let's start trying for kids. And uh, lo and behold, we get pregnant. And uh, the day comes where we're going to go for our first scan. So we phoned the two grannies-to-be. We went to the hospital, sat down with the nurse, and she put the gel on the tummy and put the sonar, and we're kind of looking at this thing. And I don't know if you remember the first time, you're like, what is that? Where's the kid? And no, it's that little bean thing over there. That's your future son or daughter. Um, But I mean, as much as you don't really know what's going on there, it's so beautiful. Uh, I remember all of us were kind of tearing up, looking at our future child. And then, of course, you get a few printouts. So you can take take them home and show everyone who even even looks at you. Um, then you get a few weeks later, you get an, another scan. A few weeks later, you get another scan. Now, the day comes when the boy is born, right? And this is what you've been looking forward to. So imagine a bunch of people came to visit us in the hotel, or in the hospital room. And, um, <laughs> and they saw us gathered around the bed and we're going, oh, he's so cute. Oh, look how wonderful he is. And as they looked over our shoulders, we were looking at the photos from the 4D scan. I'm like, where's the baby? Oh, he's over there. But look how cute he is. So I said, there's something wrong with you. See, these photos are meant to point towards the coming of your son. The greater reality. When your son is there, put the photos away. And Paul is saying the same way these religious celebrations that you guys are arguing about. There's a substance there to them. The substance is not the time. It's not the date. It's not the how. It is pointing towards a greater substance, the reality of which is found in Christ. And this is how we ought to start thinking about even in our day because the reality is we're not really feeling the pressure to uphold all the Jewish festivals, although some of us are. So some of us have people in our family who uh, there's kind of this Jewish roots movement whereby this is kind of the rhetoric they're bringing to us that we need to be meeting on the Sabbath. We need to be upholding all of these festivals. And I think Paul would say the same thing to them as he said to this church, that's a shadow. The far greater reality, and we ought not to be judging ourselves on the shadow. Let's orientate our lives around the reality. 
And there's going to be annual rhythms and monthly rhythms and weekly rhythms whereby we orientate our time, orientate our purposes around the reality of Christ. So as we bring it now home to us, when you talk about Easter, Christmas, some of these other days, what do we do? How do we reconcile bunnies and crosses and, and trees and, and uh, kind, of, um, kind of birthplaces? And uh, let's kind of go through them. And um, I just want to give you a bit of a heads up. I dropped history in school like a bomb because I couldn't stand it. Um, and I, but what I'm going to be doing this morning is giving us a bit of a history lesson behind some of these days. So if you sleep more than usual in church this morning, I give you full grace for that. However, so every year, come 25th of December, Christians around the world are celebrating the birth of Christ. There's only one problem with that. Most scholars recognize that Jesus probably wasn't born on the 25th or the 24th or the 26th of December. In fact, there's a verse in Luke 2 verses 8 that talks about, there's a comes gets translated into a Christmas carol when shepherds watch their flocks by night. And they recognize that in this part of the world, when the flocks were out and the shepherds were sleeping out in the fields with their flocks, that would have been spring or summer because when autumn and winter came with the cold and the rains, the flocks were brought back towards the farm and the shepherds would have been in that sort of context. So most scholars actually recognize that Jesus was probably born Northern Hemisphere spring which was for us winter. So what on earth are we doing celebrating Jesus' birth on the 25th of December? Well, before we get too upset about that, I think we need to recognize that God clearly has good reasons why he has chosen not to disclose the exact date to us. And then we get a verse like today's, which helps us recognize the priority of these kinds of days. But there is a history as to why we celebrate Jesus' birth on the 25th of December, you need to imagine that when um, the church started, it started in the Roman Empire, um, and then we got the Roman Catholic Church, and what is happening in that time in their Roman worship is on the 25th of December, they were worshiping Mithras, the sun god. And the reason for that is because the 21st of December was the winter, remember Northern Hemisphere, the winter solstice, and the 25th of December was the first day that you could discernibly see the sun rising uh, uh, from its position of the solstice, which kind of for them represented new birth, the sun coming up high in the sky. And for that reason, this is what they celebrated. And uh, only much later in the 4th and 5th century, the Roman church of that time started celebrating the birth of Christ on this day, the day that others had been celebrating the birth of the sun God. And now we go, oh, what do we do with that? And even back then, Christians were very divided as to whether we should or shouldn't be celebrating Jesus' birth on this particular day because of its pagan origins. Then we look at something like the Christmas tree. And historians are also quick to show us that the Christmas tree has very pagan origins, largely in the the European pagans and the winter solstice connected to that as well. And then, of course, there's good old Santa Claus. And um, some have shown us that uh, Santa coming down the chimney in his jolly old red suit. Well, maybe that comes from the Norse god Odin, who came down the chimney to give little presence to the kids at that time. Um, others have said, well, maybe Santa's connected to St. Nicholas, who was a very real 4th century bishop, loved the Lord, uh, wealthy, very generous, and was very secretive in his generosity. Interesting fact about St. Nicholas. 
At the time in the fourth century, you may have heard of the Nicene Creed. Uh, some of us call it the Apostles' Creed. Um, so St. Nicholas was around at the debates of the Nicene Creed. And the point of debate was there was a guy called Arius who was trying to argue that Jesus never existed before the incarnation, before G- uh, Mary and Joseph. And uh, Athanasius, another big bishop, was arguing, no, that Jesus eternally existed. And uh, the Bible clearly speaks that Jesus pre-existed. So Athanasius was kind of the winning side. However, St. Nicholas and Arius got into a debate and St. Nicholas actually punched Arius in the face. Um, Now, we might disagree on his methods, but we can clearly see that St. Nicholas deeply cared about the reality of Christ. And it seems like Arius was the first person on Santa Claus's naughty list. Um, So there's some of the historical origins around the 25th of December and some of the symbols there, but then we get Easter. Now, as you know, year on year, the Easter uh, calendar changes according to the Jewish calendar, which is based on the lunar calendar. So there hasn't been too much concern around the specific date that Jesus was crucified. Um, However, as I said earlier, the word Easter literally does not appear in the Bible at all. And yet we would consider this a sacred time for Christians. So where did this come from? And again, when we go into history, it seems like, again, in the pagan origins of all of this, there was a pagan goddess called Ishtar, Ishtar Easter. And the, the pagan worshippers used to bring bunnies and eggs as symbols of her fertility to her. And therefore, we as Christians ought to be, so some say, very cautious about eating chocolate bunnies and chocolate eggs because of this pagan connection. And then we've got debates around which day we should meet on. If you go to the Old Testament, it's very clear that for the Jews, the Sabbath started on Friday evening. For us, the day starts in the morning. For them, the day starts the night before, so it's going from rest to work as opposed to work to rest. And they would start on Friday night and go into the Sabbath day and then Saturday evening would be the end of the Sabbath day. And yet here we are in the 21st century celebrating the Lord's day on Sunday, the day of the sun. All right, and some are saying that, again, this is a day that is venerating the sun god, and it comes out of pagan origins. So if we look at the Sabbath in the Old Testament, and if we look at these pagan origins of Sunday, we shouldn't be doing this today, some would say. Uh, just by the way, I'm so sorry if this is the first time some of you are hearing this. Um, <laughs> I really don't intend to kind of ruffle your feathers. However, every Christmas, every Easter, every Halloween, I get a whole barrage of emails saying, did you know these kinds of things? And what should we, shouldn't we be doing about this? And I'm actually quite grateful that uh, Paul has brought this up in Colossians so we can actually speak about these things. Let's speak briefly about Halloween. Um, so Halloween originated with an ancient Celtic tradition called, uh, it's spelled Sanhaim, but apparently it's pronounced Sawin, uh, on October the 31st, where they used to believe that the kind of boundary between the living and the dead got a bit blurry that night, and so people would put big bonfires to scare off the ghosts. And um, in the 7th century, the Pope at the time, he started a different festival honoring the saints and the martyrs. And that started in May. It was very disconnected. But what started to happen was as the Roman church spread into Celtic regions, they kind of moved this date to coincide with this um, this Sawan celebration. It also looked very similar. In fact, it wasn't 31st of December. It was early November. Um, but also looked very similar, where people were dressed up like angels and demons and spirits, and there would be big bonfires, and there was kind of a mingling of these, of these, uh, how these celebrations looked. And, and what started to happen was uh, the, the name of this day was called All Saints Day, also known as All Hallows Day. The night before was called All Hallows Eve. 
Hallow's Eve, Halloween. And then what started to happen was as this kind of blended celebration uh, was taken from the Europeans into America, is some of those uh, uh, traditions were blended with some of the indigenous American traditions and then some of the harvest traditions, hence the pumpkin, very American thing. And really the form of Halloween as we know it today was a bit of an American commercial enterprise, a bit of a blend of the Celtic superstition, some of the harvest uh, 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 traditions around there um, and what Whatever Christian angle Halloween did have for some very short period of time has completely left the day. So uh, for that reason, most churches have not been even considering Halloween. But in our country, in the last 10, 20 years, it's become a much bigger thing. And again, I get asked this all the time. Can we or shouldn't we be celebrating as Christians Halloween? So what do we do with all of this information? All right, uh, maybe some of you are quite nervous about this new pieces of information. And I want to suggest to you that as we did last week, we need to think Christianly about these days. And by that, I don't mean starting to draw artificial lines in the sand because that's what's happening over here. Where people, Oh, because we're Christians, we need to be doing this. No, 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 because we're Christians, we need to be doing that. No, 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 let's think through the kinds of principles that apply to us because Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord in our lives. Jesus is the reality. Jesus is the reality that all these days point towards. So how do we make big of him and how do we make small of the shadows and decide how we're going to do these things um, in practical ways? And I want to suggest that we think through these in three categories. The one is this. What elements of these days are Christ-exalting? So where is Christ made beautiful, made powerful? Where are we putting Christ at the center of these days? That would be category A. Category B would be which elements of these are neutral? I mean, a neutral thing would be like some of you are in short sleeve t-shirts. I'm in a long sleeve shirt. Uh, we wouldn't really say that one is more Christian than the other. That would be a neutral thing. As long as we're all wearing clothes is kind of where we would uh, end on that one. Um, but what elements are neutral? So we don't really need to debate the neutral things. And uh, what elements are anti-Christian? And as we try and understand what is Christ exalting, what elements are neutral, and what elements are anti-Christian, perhaps we can navigate this together worth recognizing that some of us and some of our families are going to make different decisions according to this. Which is why Paul says, do not let anyone judge you by how you decide to think about this and walk in faith so that you can have Christ exalting moments as a family. So let's talk about Christ exalting again. Paul's less concerned about the times and the dates and the whens and the hows. He's concerned about the reality. So how do we, when we come to Christmases and Easter's and these other days, how do we always point towards the reality? So for most Christians on days like Christmas and Easter, regardless of the exact dates, Paul is saying it doesn't really matter. For us, it's convenient that we've got the 25th of December, so let's redeem it. Let's celebrate Christ's day on that day. We get given time off work, so I mean, it kind of works for us, right? So as we do this, for most Christians, this means gathering. Gathering together with other Christians to exalt Christ. Gathering together not as a religious form of activity, but rather a day to honor Jesus, him coming into this world and all that he sets out to accomplish. So for many Christians, it means meeting, it means gathering, it means worshiping. It also means finding ways in our families to make sure that Christ is honored in our homes. Right, So when we get practical, this is when we start, uh, various families are going to make various decisions on this. 
So for many people, this means kind of downplaying the, the, the non-Christian elements of Christmas and Easter and upplaying the Christian elements of Easter. And um, what we do as a family, we've got a lot of kind of Easter decorations that tell the story of Easter. We've got a lot of Christmas decorations that tell the true story of Christmas. And we try and make sure that they occupy a central place in our home. So in, uh, we've been to Israel a number of times and there's such beautiful wooden carvings we've been able to bring home and put around our home and put on our Christmas tree that again told the true story of Christmas. My favorite Christmas decorations in our home are these two Narnia lamps. They're about 40 centimeters high and they've got a little battery in them so they shine up. And if you know when C.S. Lewis wrote the book of Narnia, it's about the coming king, all right? He was going to come and defeat darkness. And this lamp at the beginning of the book kind of spoke about this uh, uh, idea of that. But hope is coming and the king is coming. So for me, these two Narnia lamps are so symbolic about the coming of the king to overcome darkness. So that's what we do. One of the traditions we have as a family. And again, this is just us. When we decorate the tree, we get everybody together. And as we put something on the tree, uh, we speak about something we're grateful for. Because we recognize that God has given, God has given so much to us. So it's, can we honor God by being grateful and, and kind of nurturing a heart of gratitude in our homes? Um, and then Easter time, and this, by the way, is where it really helps to have an engaged and creative wife. But um, she takes all the, the elements that tell the story of Easter. So a pile of money that speak about the betrayal, a pile of nails, kind of various wooden things, and uh, um, a crown of thorns. And we put them around the home. And we, we teach our kids about them every single Easter. In fact, we also sit down with them. We have some communion, explaining the true meaning of Easter, explaining the true meaning of Christmas, so that, again, in their hearts, we're pointing towards the reality. So then, that, maybe that's Christmas and Easter, then how do we exalt Christ when it comes to issues of Sabbath? And again, Paul says it doesn't really matter. I mean, some churches have a Saturday night service, some churches have a midweek service. In fact, Hilti was the other day was telling me about a church in Nashville. Most of the musos in the church are involved in gigging in the whole weekend. So instead of um, having a weekend service, they have a midweek proper full-out church service because that's the time that they can make it. And uh, Paul says, well, that's awesome as long as you make it about Jesus, all right? Because he is the reality. So don't let anyone judge you by meeting on a Wednesday night is what he says here. As long as, and here's the point of Christians, is that we as Christians and we as families are prioritizing our time around Jesus. That in a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, on an annual basis, we are ensuring that Christ is prioritized in our lives. That the worship of Jesus is prioritized in our lives and our marriages and our families. And this is why we have these kind of calendar breakdowns. We come together weekly. We gather together weekly to, to demonstrate we are the church, the body of Jesus Christ. And we make much of Jesus on our Sundays here. Uh, again, it's kind of convenient for us to do that. We get given these things called weekends in this country. So it really works well for us to do that. But what we actually find when we look at scripture is we find that after Jesus rose from the dead is that the early church started meeting on Sundays. And they actually broke in scripture from the tradition of meeting on the Sabbath. This was to honor the day of resurrection, the day of the resurrected Savior. So if you look at Acts 20 and 1 Corinthians 16, we already start seeing that we are in the tradition of the early Christians. But even if we didn't, Paul says, doesn't matter. As long as you're making much of Jesus, as long as you're worshiping him and you are prioritizing his words and his presence among you. 
This, by the way, is probably one of the hardest reasons uh, for us to kind of think like this around Halloween is because it's kind of hard to look at a day like that and say, well, how do we take a day that has become so commercial and a day that has preserved so much of these uh, uh, very obvious pagan superstitions? How do we make much of Christ on those days? However, many Christians have tried to think about creative ways to do this. Um, what's a number of Christians I've seen done, especially in the States where there's a lot more trick-or-treating, um, they've said, look, we not going to participate as a family, but we're going to have the best candy. All right, that's how we're going to be a blessing to our neighborhood. And, and as we, we want to become known as the house with the, blessed, with the best candy, right? Uh, some families have chosen to maybe engage in a bit of evangelism on that night. Um, other families have said, listen, we're not going to celebrate this as a family, but what we're going to do as a family is we're going to celebrate Christ's victory over evil and in that way make this a Christ-exalting day. And families are being thoughtful about how do we live out the Lordship of Christ, even on a day like Halloween. So that's the one side. The second category is how do we think about those things that are neutral and therefore can be culturally engaged in? So for some families, and this is kind of where we stand, and again, I'm not telling you what you need to be doing, but for us, the tree has become, uh, uh, it's a far cry from whatever pagan origins it's got. It doesn't look anything pagan, doesn't look scary, doesn't look like a ghost or a ghoul, just looks like a beautiful fir tree. Uh, the balls for us is the same thing. So we put up a tree in our home. We put it in this neutral category, and we, can, we feel like we can engage in it. In fact, some of you may have heard of the great German theologian from the Reformation period, Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, uh, Martin Luther, and uh, apparently the story goes that people were already, being Germany and kind of some of these pagan origins, the, the tree was already playing a role um, in that time, but he was walking home one day and he was preparing a sermon in his mind, he looked up into the stars and he was just blown away by the beauty of these stars and he came up with this idea. So he went home, he took the tree, he put it in the house, and he put these candles on the tree to kind of recreate this idea of awe and reverence. And that seems to be a real origin of where Christians have started putting the trees in their homes. And in fact, it was when German Christians went out from there. And when German Christians came into America, that this tradition started by Martin Luther was brought along. All right, so that's how some people have tried to think about it. For us, we also recognize that we don't take our marshmallow Easter eggs and offer them to the goddess Ishtar. We rather offer them to the, I was going to say the god of my stomach, but uh, <laughs> let's not play fast and loose with that word there. Um, and for some families, a downplayed version of Santa becomes a neutral thing. We're going, to, we're going to make much of Jesus and we're going to make sure that he in our home takes center space. But we're going to talk about center. And, and for us, what we do in our families, we talk about St. Nicholas. We talk about this man who cared deeply about the reality of Jesus, about his generosity and his justice. And it's just so our kids, even though St. Nicholas looks nothing like this jolly old fat man, um, that there's some truth that is being brought into them. For others, they would put Santa into the next category, which is things that, we, that stand apart to Christ. So some would say, well, you know, this guy looks nothing like St. Nicholas. And for that reason, we believe that he stands opposed to what Christ stands for in Christmas. So they choose not to engage with anything. 
Others have looked at uh, things like snow and um, tinsel and have said, well, um, we actually choose to engage that. We don't see that as negative. Others have said, no, for us, that does stand opposed to our Christian values. And again, we make decisions out of this. And this is, again, why most Christians have opted not to celebrate Halloween, recognizing that probably most of Halloween does stand opposed to Christ on appropriately cautious there. So as we navigate these things, again, I think Paul is saying to us, you need to think well about this. And as a family, you need to think, how are we going to exalt Christ in these days? How are we going to make sure Christ stands first on our Sundays? How are we going to make sure that Christ is first and foremost in our Easter celebrations and our Christmas celebration? That that he's not just an afterthought. Our lives and literally our calendars are orientated around the reality of, And as we make practical decisions for our homes and our families, Paul is very quick to say, but don't judge people about that as long as you're focused on the reality of Christ. And I want to end off with a quote by John Piper, and he's speaking about Christmas, uh, but I want you to see kind of the spirit of this. We can take this over onto our Sundays. We can take this over onto our Easter's as well. But this is what he says. But mostly, let us outstrip the world in joy and celebration by filling our homes and our churches with as many explicitly Christ-centered symbols as possible. Let us decorate in such a way that guests and passers-by say, wow, these people must really believe the old myth is true. Christmas is first Christ, and second Christ, and third Christ, and again and again Christ. Easter is first, second, and third Christ. Sunday is first, second, and third Christ. So how are we as Christians living out the reality of the Lordship of Christ and literally the manner in which we celebrate and set apart time for him?